0: listening to sermons from South Point McDonough where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 18. If you have your Bible, Uh, Matthew chapter 18, particularly in verses 21 through 35, and it's going to take us, I'll I'll admit, uh, a little bit to get there this morning, okay? So we're going to dive into some other verses and passages, but we will ultimately land in Matthew chapter 18. Now, a year or so ago, I was uh, leaving the house for several nights and uh, before I left, I pulled my, uh, who was then three-year-old son, uh, too close to me and I got down on my knees and I said to him, hey, bud, there's something that I really want to talk to you about before I leave. I said, it is really, really important uh, before I leave that you know uh, that when I'm gone for these next several nights... It's just you and mom and Piper. And so I would love if you took this opportunity to protect your mom and dad, and to love them really, really well. Do you understand? He said, yes, sir, dad, yes, sir. I said, buddy, I know you're gonna do an incredible job. His eyes lit up. Man, you should have seen that little three-year-old chest who David says we make work out just because of his physique. We do not, he just has that naturally. His chest puffed out and he got so happy, he ran back inside the house. He knew that he had a job, he had a mission. I wasn't calling him to an account. I wasn't saying, son, you better make sure this happens. I was merely calling something out of him. He felt it, he received that calling. And I've left a couple of other times for nights since then. And I've said something similar. But last week, I just happened to leave the house early one morning, a little earlier than normal. And as I was leaving the house, he he opened that door to the kitchen as I was walking outside. And he said, Dad, I'm going to protect Mom and Piper. I said, and you do an awesome job, bud. We're in week three of nine of a nine-part series on the fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians chapter five, verses 22 and 23. And this morning, as you've already heard, we're gonna be looking at the fruit of patience. For the Christian, the fruit of the Spirit is something that is to be called out. That's what I want us to hear this morning. It is something that is to be called out. It is to be received by the Spirit, It is to be cultivated by the Spirit. It is not something that we earn. It is not something that is to be taken. It's not something that is to be manufactured. But even more, I want you to hear this, even more than a boy's natural instinct to protect others, the Scripture calls the Christian to a supernatural life of patience. That's our call as Christians, to live supernaturally patient lives. And as we walk through this series, I want us to be reminded that we cannot possibly live supernatural lives in our natural strength. And so I need your help for just a moment. When you think of patience, in what ways or with What kind of places or with what kind of people do you often seem like you need the most help? Patience, with patience. What is that? Drivers, other drivers, not yourself, right? Okay, yes, other drivers, thank you. School car line. Are you trying to say something to me, Meredith? (laughs) We've been in the car line together and (laughs) see. Okay. Children, yeah, absolutely. Your brothers, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely, that's a very honest answer. What else? In the classroom, yeah. What else? I I see a head nod, yes, amen. Anybody else, where do you struggle with patience? Employees, yeah. Anything else come to mind? Well, there are two Greek, (laughs) I see some chuckling. That means there are some other things, but we'd rather not share Okay? But but there are two Greek words found in the New Testament scriptures for patience. The first is a word that is hopumone, and the other is macrothumeo. Okay? Hupumone, you're not gonna be quizzed on this, and macrothumeo, and those will come into play at various times in the sermon this morning. But as we're looking. At this particular list of the fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians chapter five, the Apostle Paul writes with this particular word, "macrothumeo" in mind, okay? So that is the word for patience there. And that's such a big word that we actually need two words in the English to describe it. And that would be, as, as Keith prayed earlier, uh, that is long suffering and forbearance. Those are the two words that we need in English to describe this Greek word, makrothumeo, meaning patience when other people do us wrong. I was wondering if that was going to come to mind as we considered the ways in which we needed to grow in patience. Makrothumeo is this patience that is when others do us wrong, when others sin against us. So just for a moment, I wanna give us a little bit of biblical theology on these words, and then we're gonna land with the parable of Jesus in Matthew chapter 18. So perhaps this is a familiar passage to some of us, and others it's not, but Isaiah chapter 6 you're, feel free to turn there with me, but I will read that portion. Isaiah chapter six, in the beginning of the chapter there, Isaiah actually has a vision of the throne room of God, and this is what is recorded. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Verse four, and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me. For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongues from the altar, and he touched my mouth, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. That's the passage. So what does that have to do with patience? I want us to see that the very holiness of God is attached to his patience. You see, as Isaiah finds himself in the throne room of God, he's immediately struck by God's holiness, And it hits him as he begins taking in all of his surroundings. As he hears about who God is through this song, as he breathes in all of this smoke that's filled the throne room, he realizes that he's in the presence of someone altogether different than him. And as he realizes this, he's broken and he begins to fall and say, woe is me. He realizes his Sinfulness before a holy God, and he realizes also every single person on earth that he's ever come into contact with is exactly like him. But here's the beautiful part about this picture. There is a holy God before a sinful man in the throne room. And instead of God smiting Isaiah, which he could have, he sees to it that his sins would be atoned for. We not only get a picture of God's immense and astounding and beautiful holiness there before Isaiah, but we also get this incredible picture of the patience of God. And as Isaiah's sins are atoned for, he immediately turns as he hears hears God saying, who will go for us? And he says, on mission, here am I, send me. With that scene in mind, I want us to move further back into the Old Testament where God reveals himself and he often does it as he reveals himself through patience. For instance, the second book of the Bible, which is Exodus chapter 34, God is revealing himself to Moses and we find out there that the Lord passed before Moses and Moses proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, hear this, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, the transcendent God who made heaven and earth who is holy as he reveals himself to sinful man all throughout the scriptures, desires that his people would know that he is not only holy, but that he is slow to anger. That he's a patient God, that we might know that about him. The God of the Bible is patient. Think of Jonah. He's a prophet. He's called of God to go and preach to the people where? Does anybody remember? In Nineveh, and Jonah basically says to God in so many ways through his actions that he's not going to go to preach to the Ninevites. In fact, he gets on a boat, and he goes to the opposite direction into Tarshish, and through a circumstance, a whole bunch of sovereignly orchestrated circumstances, including getting swallowed up by this huge fish, he finds out that he is going to get to Nineveh. And so he goes to Nineveh and he ends up preaching this, the gospel of the good news of God to these people and they end up repenting. Well, we then find out that Jonah didn't, it's not that he didn't want to go to Nineveh because he didn't want the, the people to do certain things with God. I'm getting my merge murd, wixed my all up here, Okay. He didn't want to go to the Ninevites, not because he hated the Ninevites. No, because he did hate the Ninevites. What does that have to do with patience though? Here we go. Jonah said he didn't want to go to Nineveh because he knew that God was gracious and merciful, that he was slow to anger, and that he was abounding in love. That's why, God, that's why Jonah did not want to go to the Ninevites because he knew that characteristic about God. God is slow to anger. This is a defining characteristic of creator God who has formed and fashioned you in his image. In Isaiah, again, this time in chapter 30, we're told from God through Isaiah that his people are rebellious. They've been unwilling to uh, listen to the instruction of the Lord. They don't wanna hear about God any longer. They despise God's word, in fact. And to this extreme rebellion, we we hear God reply with a therefore, and we would think that it is now that God is going to issue a great smite, that God is going to come upon these people and say, the end is now, you're done, time is up. But Isaiah, on behalf of God there, says, therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore, he exalts himself to show mercy to you, For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. In the New Testament, in which the Apostle Paul penned much of, we see his writing in Romans chapter two about us not presuming upon the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, knowing that it is ultimately the kindness of God that leads to repentance, repentance. The Apostle Paul, who was known in his former life for persecuting the Christian church, was well acquainted with the patience of God. That is his conversion story, that God should have took him out as he was persecuting, as he was sending God's own people to their deaths, and yet God showed great patience to him. And at the right time, he drew him to himself. We see in 2 Peter that there will be some who are going to reject the message of Jesus Christ. In fact, they're going to make fun of the gospel and as, they're, as they do, they're going to ask mockingly, where is the promise of his coming? People have been living and dying for a long time and nothing else has changed. Nothing is different in the cycle of life and to this argument. Peter replies in 2 Peter chapter three, verse eight, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years. And a thousand years is one day. The Lord, Peter goes on to say, is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Again, there's two words in the Greek for patience. The first is hupumone, The second is macrothumeo. Hupomone is this idea that we saw in James chapter one and throughout the book of James that we are staying under, remaining steadfast under a trial, that this thing is going to do a good work in us and we remain patient. But here, Galatians chapter five, is macrothumeo. This is a different kind of patience. It's the patience that is given to us by the Spirit of God. It's the word that the Apostle Paul and Peter used in those verses in which I just referenced. It's the idea behind the slow to anger and waiting of God in the Old Testament. The context of Macrothumeo is always others-oriented, It's always about other people. This isn't patiently waiting for a trial to have its full effect. It's not being able to learn something in a long car line, although we have plenty to learn there. It's not waiting patiently for the folks at the Lord's Chicken to take your order, though there is plenty of things to learn there. No, No, it's not even the patience that we need to grow in, someone said, kids, for our kids as they work out trying to obey after you have told them to time and time again. No, the idea here, macrothumeo, is mainly bearing with others who sin against us. And if you say, I don't know if I'm really ready to deal with that kind of patience, you can find great comfort with the apostle Peter himself who wrote 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 that I just referenced about the patience of the Lord because it was not something that he always grasped either. So for the remainder of the time this morning, I want us to look at Matthew chapter 18, and we're going to unpack one of these instances where Peter was having a difficult time with other people who had sinned against him or as he is dealing with the sin of others. In Matthew chapter 18, Peter's patience has run out when he approaches Jesus there in verse 21, and if you're with me there in the text Peter asks this, Lord, in verse 21, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? I love the freedom in which the apostle Peter approaches Jesus Christ. Because two chapters prior, Peter actually says in this monumental moment, that was only given to him by the spirit of God himself, he says in this huge way that Jesus is in fact the Christ, the son of the living God. And two chapters later here in Matthew chapter 18, he's just approaching Jesus with everything that's going on inside of him. And he says, hey, Jesus, really, would you just level with me? How many times do I have to do it? Anybody ever feel that? Like, if Jesus would just tell us exactly how many times we would have to forgive someone or be patient with someone, it was like, I'll do that. Peter says, if you could just tell me the answer, we'll get, we'll get to it. He's asking the son of the living God this question. Now, we might think that's a weird question in one sense to ask, In fact, he follows it up with something else and he says, hey, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? Seven times? As many as seven times? You see, there was this practice in Judaism at the time that they were to forgive three times. And so as Peter approaches Jesus, he's obviously gotten, gotten some things going on in his mind and heart about patience and dealing with the sin of others. He approaches Jesus, and he's like, hey, seven is a good number, right? I mean, that's like, that's like the perfect number. That means completeness, and that means wholeness. It's more than double of the amount that all of our other Jewish friends forgive other people. This is a good number, right? thinking that he's, he's gonna have Jesus say, that is right, Peter, seven times and no more. Peter must think that he's being quite patient, generous. Before we get into Jesus' answer, though, I want us to ask the question, When it comes to the patience that the Spirit is indeed cultivating and calling out within us, as it is the Holy Spirit who resides in each and every Christian, how do we know if our patience is in need of extra cultivating? How do we know if we are in need of surrendering to the Lord with our patience? Sure, when we're in traffic, I think Ms. Tony mentioned that, we know that our boiling blood is a really good indicator that we might be in need of greater patience. Sure, when our kids begin to misbehave and all of a sudden this voice that you haven't used in a moment comes from within you, it is louder than it ever seems to be. That is a good indicator that patience is in need. But what happens when others sin against us? Sometimes it's way more subtle. How do we know that we are in need of the cultivating of patience that only the spirit can bring? I want us to consider these four statements. And the first is this, I am tired of offering forgiveness. I'm just tired of it that is a good indicator that we might be in need of surrendering this to the Lord. This is the case with Peter here in Matthew chapter 18. He says as much to Jesus. When forgiveness has run out, patience has run thin. That's how we know that we're in need of surrendering this part of our lives to the Lord. Jonah felt the same way. He recalled how he knew that God would forgive the Ninevites. He just didn't want it to extend it to them. They were undeserving in his book. They had presumed upon the mercy of God for far too long, and the offer of forgiveness was now up. I am tired of extending forgiveness to other people. That's how I know that patience is in need of cultivating in my heart. Second, I'm finding it difficult to offer those two words, forbearance and suffering, to others. I sent it out to our pastors this week as I was studying that this same word, macrothumeo, patience, in the fruit of the Spirit, is the same word that the Apostle Paul uses in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, as he gives the instruction to the church leaders at Thessalonica when he writes this, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. There's different groups in the church. Encourage the faint-hearted and help the weak. Again, all different types of struggles and people within the church at any given time. And then Paul says, be macrothumeo with them all. Be patient with them all. It's easy to be patient with those who are faint hearted. It's easy to be patient with those who are weak, but the Apostle Paul says yes to those, and also even those who are idle, even those who are taking advantage of the good gifts of the body of Christ, even those who are presuming upon the resources that the body of Christ has collectively together. You, Macro Thumeo, be patient with them too. Be patient with them all, I'm finding it difficult to offer forbearance, I'm I'm finding it difficult to suffer long with brothers and sisters. Is that you this morning? Then may we surrender that before the Lord. Number three, I'm tired of God's timetable. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus tells his disciples the events that will soon happen to him, that he's going to be arrested, that he's going to die, and on the third day, he's going to be resurrected back to life, and there's Peter again. There's Peter, who has a really difficult time with grasping this macrothumeo patience, and he says, far be it from you, Lord, to which Jesus turns to him and says, anybody remember? Get behind me, Satan. I wonder how Peter responded in that moment. Like, hey, Jesus, I'm trying to protect you from these really bad things. On the night of Jesus' arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter's having Another difficult time with patience. And as the guards go to arrest Jesus, having been tipped that night by Judas, one of Jesus' own disciples, as the guards go to arrest him, what does Peter do? Chop that dude's ear off. Jesus is like, hang on, not happening. Put that sword away. God's timetable is best. And our difficulties with it often reveal our need for the spirit to cultivate a greater patience within our hearts. Fourth, I'm not confident in God's means to change others. All of a sudden, I feel that there is this growing thing inside of me where I am not confident that God is actually able to do a good work in the lives and hearts of others. This one gets me. It's really the attitude of all the Pharisees that Jesus comes into contact with in the Gospels. When someone didn't fit their mold, they begin to write them off. We're not going to stick around. God isn't going to change that individual. In Acts chapter 9, Luke tells us that this was the case for those early Christians when the Apostle Paul first comes to Jerusalem. He had attempted to integrate with the disciples there, but actually the text tells us that they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. I mean, it makes sense, right? The Apostle Paul had just been known for persecuting all kinds of Christians, And so as he comes onto the scene, surely they were thinking, like, this guy, what if he didn't get converted? What if if this is a trap? Do we actually believe that God has the means to change people, to change the vilest of people? Do we believe that? If we're having a difficult time believing that, it is time then to surrender this before the Father. God, grow in us this type of macrothumeo, patience. Because after all, this is how the gospel works. God transfers people from the dominion of darkness and he places them into the kingdom of his marvelous light. That is the gospel, he takes the, wic- the most wicked people and he makes them clean. Isn't that your story, Christian? I wonder which of these statements most resonate with you. I'm tired of offering forgiveness. I'm finding it difficult to offer forbearance and long-suffering. I'm tired of God's timetable. I am not confident in God's means to change others. And as you land on one or perhaps multiple, I want you even now to just hold one of those things or multiple things before the Lord in quiet prayer and ask that he might, the spirit of God, might grow in you an awareness for your need of him in this area. It's in these times for the Christian that we can surrender and ask God to work his perfect patience, Through us. Now, we still have the parable to work through. Okay. Jesus replies to Peter in Matthew chapter 18, verse 22, and he says, I do not say to you seven times. Remember, Peter thought he was doing a good work. I don't say to you seven times, but 77 times. Some translations say 70 times seven. However patient you thought you were being with your whole and complete number, Peter, God's patience isn't quite that short-sighted. Great for us who receive forgiveness, but incredibly difficult when it's time for the rubber to meet the road where we actually have to extend forgiveness and patience toward others. And with that, Jesus begins this parable in verse 23. Therefore, if you're in the text, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, we're supposed to feel the incredible weight of this debt because this, a talent, was the highest unit of money used in that day of time. One talent was was worth about 20 years' wages for an employee. It's an incredible amount of money. And this guy owed how many talents? 10,000 20-year wages. 10,000 20-year wages. We're probably talking about $6 billion in today's money. Out of $7.9 billion, that stat's probably uh, people. Sorry, not dollars. Out of 7.9 billion people on planet Earth, which is probably an old stat now, Anybody know what's closer? Eight, eight billion. Out of eight billion people on planet Earth right now, there are not even 500 with that kind of wealth. We aren't told how he accumulated that much debt. It doesn't really matter. What we're supposed to feel, the gravity in which this parable is communicated is that no one could have paid that amount of money off. That debt was insurmountable. Verse 25 tells us that he had nothing to trade. He had nothing to offer in its place. There was no collateral that would have been good enough. And so as a result, he was going to be sold along with his wife and children and all of their human possessions. And this wouldn't have put even the slightest dent into the debt. So what does the man do? What would any of us do if we were faced with that kind of insurmountable debt? Verse 26, the servant fell on his knees imploring with him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. He's naive, even in that moment, to think that with time, he could even come close to coming up with that kind of money. But regardless, he knew that there was only one way forward here, that the king was going to have to show him some kind of mercy, some kind of patience in order for him to be forgiven of that kind of debt. Now, in the story, the king doesn't say, okay, I'll give you some more time. On this day at 5 p.m., you must have this amount of money or else, no, what does the king do? He forgives the entire insurmountable debt. And we can imagine how that man should have walked away that day. You would think that that man felt a freedom that was incalculable thinking sweet things about this compassionate king, but the scene changes very quickly, doesn't it? For in verse 28, as he's leaving, the servant sees one of his own servants, and this servant owed him 100 denarii. We're talking just a couple of days worth of income. Ten 20-year wages to a couple of days worth of income. And as he sees this servant, he begins to choke his servant, saying, pay what you owe. The scene is like deja vu. The servant's servant falls on his knees, and he begs for patience that he would certainly pay him what he was owed. The situation is a bit disorienting. It's mind-boggling. Anyone else thinking, how in the world could he possibly turn around after he was forgiven such an incredible debt and require such a little debt from that of his servant. The servant's friends were thinking the same thing, and so they go in verse 31, and they report to their master, the higher up, all that had taken place. The things don't go so well for the original servant after. Verse 32, then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Jesus concludes this parable by saying in verse 35, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let's wrap the parable up. How do we, by God's grace, apply this parable? You see, we are born into iniquity, into a sin debt that we can never repay. That is one of the pictures that this parable is supposed to convey. The Bible says in, chapter, in Romans chapter six, verse 23, that the wages of sin is death. So what we get for our sin debt is what? Death. Death. And as we sin in this life, it continues to pile on. With each breaking of God's commandment, I am thrown more into a debt, a debt that you and I could not ever possibly pay. Remember the scene in Isaiah where he realizes that this God is more holy than anything or anyone else that he has ever experienced With this kind of debt, we're in a similar situation to the initial servant. We owe billions of dollars that we will never be able to come up with in this lifetime. There is no way, absolutely no way, that we're getting out of this mess on our own. But the question for us that we have to come up with an answer is this. Where do we go from here? The first servant, although appearing to come before the Lord in utter bankruptcy he falls before the king knowing that he has nothing to offer revealed later get this that he had actually not received the forgiveness that was offered to him He said that's what he needed He knew that that's what he was needed that what was needed But when it came time, when the rubber met the road, when a servant was in front of him that owed him only two days' wages, it was shown that he actually never received the forgiveness that was offered to him by the king. And I want you to hear this. To the the degree that we are receiving the patience of God, is the degree in which we are able to share it with others. There is absolutely no way that we are going to be able to be a patient person after the image of Christ, in the way of Christ, if we've never received the patience of our heavenly Father. It's not going to happen. If it does, it will be that it is manufactured or taken or earned, and that will only last for a time. Using those awareness statements from earlier on how we know we are in need of greater patience through the Holy Spirit, I want to, in these last few minutes, uh, for us to consider Christ, who's the embodiment of patience. You see, Jesus didn't say to his people, That's it. I am tired of offering forgiveness, but rather Romans chapter five verse eight says that Christ died for us while we were still what? Sinners. He gave his life for a people who had not said they were sorry. They had not gone to him and said, oh God, would you forgive me? Christ offered his life and body as a ransom for a people who had never said they were sorry. They had never asked for forgiveness. A people who wanted nothing to do with him. He wasn't tired of people asking for forgiveness when he died for us. We had not even thought to do that yet. Jesus didn't say, I'm finding it incredibly difficult to offer forbearance and long-suffering with my people. But rather, when Jesus was rejected by a village of Samaritan people, his disciples asked him, hey, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume these people? Just go ahead and wipe them out. This way it will be better for all of us. He turns and rebukes them, saying, the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Jesus didn't say, I am tired of God's timetable, but rather, as we looked at earlier, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but he's patient toward you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Jesus didn't say, I am not confident in God's means to change others, but rather, through the apostle Paul's life in 1 Timothy chapter one, Paul said he received mercy so that Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. I made this definition up of patience one day while I was attempting to teach it to my kids. And it was in a moment probably of impatience. I don't think it's the greatest, so you don't need to write it down. It's only anecdotal. But nevertheless, I've continued to use this definition when, when the occasion required. And so sometimes I'll say, what is patience when we're just hanging out? No, usually when they're being very impatient and I can see it all over their face. And they'll say, it's waiting for something that you really want, dad. In in the telling of the parable of the unforgiving servant to Peter, instead of giving Peter a direct answer to his question, how many times do I have to forgive? He's really asking Jesus, or Jesus is really asking with this parable, Peter, what is it that you really want? What do you really want? You're asking for me a standard. How many times do I have to forgive my brother? Is it seven times? And Jesus begins to share this parable and is really overwhelmingly asking, Peter, what is it that you really want? And here's what the Bible leads us to believe. For the Christian made in the image of God, having been given a new heart with new desires, having new affections, a new love, here's what I know about the Christian. I know about every single one of us who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we really want to be able to extend patience to others because it really has been given to us. Christian, you aren't being called to an account where patience hasn't been on full display in your life. Patience is being called out of you as the Holy Spirit who causes you to bear fruit And dwells within you. And when God's fruit is called out of us Christians, when God says, You are patient, what happens to the Christian? You light up. Your chest sticks up tall, like little Cyrus did when I said, Protect and love your mama, because it is instinctual to the new covenant Christian. God has given you his Holy Spirit who indwells you and has called you to live a life of patience. In Christ, you are patient because it is your DNA. You really want to show patience, and God in Christ has been patient with your sin because he really wants you to be in relationship with him. In just a moment I'm going to invite those of you who have a relationship with Christ Jesus who've trusted in Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of sins by faith to partake in a meal called communion. There're four stations set up around this room and we are as we take the the bread and we dip it into the juice, we will remember the enormous debt that was before us. The debt because of our sin that we deserved to pay take that bread, we remember Christ's body that was sacrificed for us. We remember that he died on the cross and instead of giving us death, he gave us his life, he gave us his righteousness and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he has given us his patience. He displayed perfect patience on the cross while dying for his enemies. And before we do that, there are still those that the parable speaks to. Apart from those who have already trusted in Christ Jesus, there are also those who have and are presuming upon the patience of God and assume all will be well with them forever. But for those who do not trust in Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, that simply is not the case. In fact, we see what happens to the first unforgiving servant. Paul, in Romans chapter two, verse four again, writing to this kind of person, asks, do you presume on the riches of God's kindness and his forbearance and patience, knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, You're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Now, in this moment, while there is still today, while you and I have life and breath, while God has given us another day Today is the day to take God up on his invitation toward life in him, to come to him in repentance. And so if you have never trusted in Christ Jesus, it is not the time to continue to presume upon the patience of God, but rather trust that he's been patient with you even to this day and repent of your sins even now before it's too late. If that's you, as we move into a time of communion, pray that God would forgive you of your sins and thank him for his inexpressible gift. And perhaps you are a Christian. You've tasted of God's inexpressible gift in Christ Jesus. You know what it is like at times to drink deeply of the patience that the Holy Spirit is cultivating in you and yet you would say I identify with one or more or all of those statements in which I am in great need of surrendering this patience of mine before Lord Almighty that he might do a good work in me because my patience is running thin. Remember, as you take of communion in just a moment, Christ was incredibly patient with you. Enjoy God's invitation back toward fellowship. Church, would you enjoy the meal of communion? Let's pray. God, thank you for this time that we could be together as your people. Thank you for the work that you are doing in our hearts, conforming us more into the image of your son. I thank you that you have given us an opportunity to look to your word, to see that you have been incredibly patient with us. God, I pray that you, by the power of your spirit, would continue to con- cultivate that desire in us. That if, if your spirit is living inside of us, that we certainly have new, a new heart, new desires, new affections, that it is in our DNA to be a person who exudes your incredible long-suffering, forbearing, macrothumeo patience, that we would be able to look in the face of the idol, our enemies, those who sinned against us and offer the patience in which you've afforded to us in Christ Jesus. For the individual that has been presuming upon your great patience, I pray that you, by the power of your spirit, the same spirit that resides in Christians, your people, I pray that you might draw them to yourself today, that they could drink deeply of patience, perfect patience in your son Christ. Help us to remember your sacrifice as we eat of this meal. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.